Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4266 of The Bugle, the world's foremost audio refuge from reality. I am Andy Zaltzman, and today is the 5th of June 2023, and if I'm not very much mistaken, this is the day on which, in exactly 20 seconds' time, the planet will be struck and destroyed by a giant asteroid shaped like a golf ball, thought to emanate from a shank drive in a distant galaxy during a game between Roman number one ranked god Jupiter and a local deity. The asteroid has taken around 1,800 years to get here. Uh, that's uh, when the game took place. We assume Jupiter lost because he was never quite the same again and faded from prominence thereafter. And it should be hitting us about three, two, one, now. Oh, well, it turns out I was very much mistaken. Oh, well, it's never <laughs> nice to be proved wrong. But it does, however, clear the path for me to record another issue of The Bugle and my two guests today. Firstly, representing the entire continent of Asia, and everyone and everything who lives there, comes from there, has any ancestral link to there, once saw a TV documentary about Asia, or even just occasionally thinks about it, from Mumbai, it's Anuvab Pal. Hello, Anuvab, how are you? Hello, Andy, hello. I am well. It just touched 42 degrees in, Ooh, in Mumbai right now, um, and this might be shocking, but they're actually no people on the streets of India right. because it's so hot. It's about five in the evening here. When I say no people, I mean we're down to the last million people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's still a what, few just people the last million people on your street, do you mean? On or? my street, correct. <laughs> correct. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's been happening. And uh, very quickly, I should also mention that uh, last week India got a new parliament. Oh, uh, you you guys had left one behind oh, a yes. while ago. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, finally, they decided that that was we should build one of our own. Right, we we talked about this in our uh, our BBC series, didn't we? The uh, the space based on an Xbox controller, isn't it? Yeah, correct, correct. It's a hexagon. Uh, the one the British built, Edwin Luton's, that was round, and this one, Prime Minister Modi personally oversaw the architectural design of it um and his architect uh not albert spear the other guy bimal patel <laughs> that was the name of his architect he uh built this this parliament to fit over a thousand members of parliament so right right the old one fit 549 so i don't know what prime minister modi's plan is but at some point we might have the largest number of parliamentarians <laughs> ever put in a building right well, I mean, that's well, maybe that's just part of the the heritage that uh, that, that you've uh, well in, inherited from from the British time because our, yeah. I mean our our parliament we have six hundred and fifty MPs plus I think it's up to a thousand lords so they can't all squeeze in at once and most of them are asleep but but even so I mean this is this ridiculous ridiculously large number of MPs given the ridiculously small amount of votes that put them there, particularly in the House of Lords when the votes that put them there <laughs> are zero. Um, Can I just ask you who the large, the fourth largest uh, voting block is in the House of Lords at the moment? Does anyone know this? Uh, is it the bishops? Yep, the Lords Spiritual, <laughs> as they are officially known. Right. Um, well, that's good news for uh, good news for God, more of whom later. Uh, in this uh, in this show, uh, joining uh, Anivab uh, and me, representing the rest of humanity, past, present, and future. <laughs> Don't let them down. It's Tiff Stevenson. Hello, hello from the book nook. Um, I was trying to work out what forty-seven degrees was in Fahrenheit because, weirdly, at school 
we had a, f- a Fahrenheit. I learnt Fahrenheit. Everywhere else in the UK, it's degrees. But I knew if it hit 100, we'd get a day off school. So I think officially that, that's 107.6 degrees Fahrenheit. So from wow. cel- 42 Celsius is 107. So essentially you could you could just carry an egg into the street and it would just slow poach within, I don't know, eight minutes? What do you reckon? I hope we could do that live on it the view. Sa- yeah, it sounds easier than my method of tipping some white wine vinegar into a pan and then whisking it and or involving cling film. Cling just, film? It's, cling film, yeah. You can you can plop the egg into some cling film, right. tie it in a knot, and you get a poacher. You, you've got to cut it all off afterwards. <laughs> I think it's probably environmentally friendlier for us all to just fly right. to Mumbai. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You see, this is... There. The- the benefits of a cross-continental podcast. You guys could give me recipes, and I've got an oven right outside the door, so I could just walk <laughs> out, try things, and come back. We are recording on the 5th of June. As I mentioned, the 7th of June, uh, so Wednesday of this week, is apparently Global Running Day. Um, the obsolete but still strangely widely used form of foot-based transport in fact celebrates its 100,000th anniversary this year. Running was invented in 97,977 BC, of course, <laughs> by an early human who cleverly realised that you didn't have to keep something on the ground at all times, uh, unless you're playing snooker, of course. Uh, it was a good lesson for humanity to learn. Never take tips from a snake. How long did it take our species to learn that? Uh, this opened up the possibility... <laughs> Uh, not only of faster movement and fewer instances per person of being eaten by a dinosaur, but also paved the way for the evolution of sport. So uh, do celebrate Global Running Day for making life bearable. Uh, As always, the section of The Bugle is going straight in the bin. This week, a teach-yourself mime section. We give you some classic mime scenarios, and I will show you uh, how to mime them. Uh, Admittedly, this is a a podcast, so uh, I hope you can pick up exactly uh, what's going on. Uh, (laughs) Scenario one, a person stuck inside an imaginary glass box. A person stuck inside an actual glass box. A former (laughs) Prime Minister sitting in front of their well-worn mirror, coming to realise how they will be remembered by history. A tennis player thinking they've won a match point at Wimbledon before realising they're actually in, in a river surrounded by crocodiles. (laughs) <laughs> and a horse walking into a bar. Uh, that section in the bin. <laughs> Can I just say, I would like to see an Andy Zaltzman mime show. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a lot of my audiences have been thinking that, actually, while I've been talking at them. Um, <laughs> over the years. Top story this week, supernatural beings. Well, since the dawn of time itself, us humans have wondered whether there is something bigger than ourselves. Pretty quickly, we realised there was. A hippopotamus, for example, or a mountain. (laughs) But that didn't stop us wondering whether out there in the infinite bigitude of the skies above, there were people or things like us, living on distant stars, maybe made of green slime, or looking very like us but with unconvincing prosthetic heads, or with the kind of human-like bodies affordable within the budget of a 1960s TV sci-fi series. Or even we wondered, were there deities toddling along on the top of the clouds, amusing themselves by ruining our lives for their own entertainment? And over this past week... We've had to examine the existence of aliens and gods once again. We'll address this. Uh, we'll address the aliens first. Uh, NASA, the celebrity space-bothering American government agency famous for such smash-hit missions as Apollo 11 to the moon, spoke for the first time about the many UFO sightings it has investigated. Now, Tiff, 
Um, <laughs> I know you have been abducted by aliens on more than one occasion, uh, so this is a subject very close to your heart. I mean, you can tell us about those occasions uh, if you want, but I mean, this is this is I mean hugely exciting. They basically, you know, they pretty much admitted that the aliens are already here. Yes, they've described them as unidentified aerial phenomena, which sounds a bit like a Cirque du Soleil show. Um, UAPs, <laughs> UAPs, doesn't have quite the same ring as UFOs. But uh, yeah, NASA is doing a study uh, into unidentified objects. Uh, it's different and separate to the Pentagon study. So it's like the sharks and the jets of flying saucers. <laughs> They're actually going to be competing rival gangs. Um, I don't know who the guy from Blink 182 will join. But maybe that's the main storyline. Right. Um, but yeah, so uh, unidentified uh, aerial phenomena. My my mate Gavin actually spotted floating glowing lights deep in the Welsh countryside one night and uh, thought it was a UFO, but he was actually peeled up and turns out it was the underneath <laughs> of an XR2. <laughs> so we all make mistakes. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're investigating uh, the phenomena. They've been getting, I believe they've been getting grief for it. Um, I'm, I'm interested in the fact that whenever we talk about an alien race we always assume they'll be uniform in their ideals or personalities like they're going to either be entirely malevolent or benevolent but what if there is just one alien that everyone thinks is a dick <laughs> <laughs> you know like the alien that walks into the bar and everyone rolls their giant eyeballs at um just doug everyone finds doug objectionable oh god it's doug again he's going to tell us about his divorce cool. um, but i welcome uh the invasion because that means that they'll actually take us, uh, when they say, take me to your leader, we can actually find out who's really running shit. Because <laughs> I'm well, not convinced it's any of our uh, <laughs> any of our governments at the moment. So, yeah. Yeah, they've reported, um, apparently there's 50 to 100 sightings a month reported uh, in the USA. And uh, NASA said the number of those sightings which are, quote, possibly really anomalous is just 2 to 5%. But, I mean, that adds up. If there's, let's, let's round it all up. 50 sightings a month and then 5% of them are are you know genuinely anomalous genuine UFOs or UAPs that is tantamount to almost 2,500 alien visits to earth this millennium alone and more than 300,000 since Egyptian civilization started taking off is that coincidence I don't f***ing think so. Um, I mean, another thing just on the branding of it, as you say, UFOs, no more, now rebranded as UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. Thank you, Brussels. Or is it the woke? Who are we blaming for this nonsense? I don't like change. Um, but Anuvab, I mean, how has this, uh, this, this news gone down in, uh, in India? Well, you know, we have so many objects flying around in the sky <laughs> that are not regulated by the Department of Civil Aviation that we've lost track of what a UAP is <laughs> and what was just like a person or a cow flying through the sky. We just <laughs> we've lost track of what's going on. But I'm particularly interested in this online abuse part of it um, yes. because the tip said, you know, a lot of these people who are doing this research are getting a lot of abuse. And my question to you guys is, well, wh who's this abuse from? Is it from people who don't believe that what is found is the kind of alien they'd like you know <laughs> or is it just people i mean i could see myself getting very angry at a scientist and saying that's not an alien you know and just writing a bunch of vitriol against that person <laughs> because you know i it, i have a specific view i think like all human beings and what an alien should be which is 
an object riding a cycle with a bunch of very young kids in a Steven Spielberg <laughs> movie. <laughs> you know, like every each one of us had their own thing, and if it doesn't fulfill it, I mean, I I think abuse is needed. Right. <laughs> almost, it's almost required, and you have to vent. And these are good people to vent too. Um, but I also feel like this particular unit of NASA, they. You know, like NASA constantly gives us updates, right? And it's all over the Guardian and the BBC. And it's tiny updates, like you know, they they possibly found some jet streams on the moon, you know, which could indicate the signs of water. But fundamentally, aren't we all interested in only one question? Right? That's all we're after. So we lost. We we just you you just went quiet for that one question. Uh, well, it's the aliens. It's not me. <laughs> just, they've shut me off. They've shut me off, guys. <laughs> I think the question that uh, Tiff asked is really the pertinent question, which is the only thing we're all interested in is have we found Doug? <laughs> <laughs> have we found Doug? Where's Doug? I, every other report that comes out from this unit of NASA, no wonder it attracts abuse because it's just distracting. Well, also, no wonder it attracts abuse because it's happening in the year 2023 when everything <laughs> attracts abuse. And this, this, I mean, the, the news report said that, that the senior research official Dan Evans at NASA's science unit said members of the research panel had received online re abuse and harassment. Do we even need to put that in news reports now? Can we not just assume that <laughs> sentence is attached to anyone in any news story? We all know it's happening. I'm not saying it's right. Uh, panel chair David Spurgle said, if I were to summarise in one line what we've learned, is that we need high quality data because of course traditionally with ufos we've relied on kind of low quality data and that no longer suffices <laughs> because traditionally when it comes to ufos we've relied on low quality data such as 100 percent of mike from rural wisconsin claims to have been abducted by aliens directly from his underground bunker 80% of people who know Mike think he's bullshitting, but the remaining 20%, i.e. Pete the Prepper, who owns enough vacuum-packed powered, powdered food to last for 43 years, thinks it definitely happened. So we are looking to raise the quality of the you know, <laughs> statistical research that goes into working out whether the aliens have taken us over already. Mike, Mike needs to hang out with my friend Gavin. <laughs> in the Welsh countryside for a little while. I I think one of the fun things is when, when they do actually get here, we'll be describing everyday things to the aliens. That's always been a little thought experiment, hasn't it? I was thinking the other day, how would I describe mascara? I'd be like, well, it's like trousers for your eyelashes. <laughs> um, describing your iPhone, it's like a misery brick. Everyone must carry their burden and scroll it whilst they take a shit. <laughs> <laughs> so we can just in its own way. Yeah. <laughs> How would you go about defining, you know, explaining test cricket to aliens? I think that might be the thing that protects us as a species that we we start explaining how we've developed this form of entertainment that goes on for 5 days involving people repeatedly throwing a ball at someone else 20 yards away. Um <laughs> and at the end sometimes no one as well. I think they might then think that we're just better off leaving us to our own devices. I think it's our greatest <laughs> defence. You know, it's always, thing it, it's, I also feel like it's always unexpected things that, you know, people always think aliens will want to go to Washington, D.C. and take control of the White House. It's like in all the movies, they always want to control some seat of power, like Beijing. What if they want, like, things we're not expecting, like mango milkshakes? You know, like <laughs> things that nobody's thought of. Yeah, what if they just want to <laughs> go to Ibiza and get absolutely... <laughs> 
Lotto. Um. <laughs> They're coming over to join the cast of Love Island. That's the Doug wants some dating opportunities <laughs> since were, his divorce. Um, it, it was quite. I mean, there was a lot that was quite entertaining about this report, including the the explanations for some of the objects that were sighted in the sky. Um, which a lot of which turned out to be just fairly ordinary objects, uh, you know, commercial flights, for example. Um, a Bart Simpson-shaped weather balloon. Now, this was initially thought to be proof <laughs> that aliens had come to Earth um, and had the capability to turn car- cartoon characters into giant flying versions of themselves that would soon destroy us all. Now, this raised obvious concerns, stroke hopes, delete according to how much you want humanity to survive, about giant crime-busting dogs floating around the world, uh, the return of dinosaurs. Uh, I know Flintstone fans are particularly concerned about that. And uh, also worries about enormous, irritating rabbits looming over us, eating the world out of carrots and constantly questioning medical professionals. Um, <laughs> other explanations for uh, objects sighted in the sky include that uh, it was um, the Frisbee that the Soviets wanged into space to try to get Laika the Cosmodog to press blast off in her rocket. Uh, Boris Johnson's ego. Uh, also, <laughs> uh, one of the reported sightings turned out to be a cow. Uh, which, having jumped over the moon in the traditional manner, was now returning to Earth in a controlled re-entry <laughs> to avoid roasting up as it entered the Earth's atmosphere. Uh, Elon was it Musk... following Mr Spoon <laughs> over <Yep>. Button Moon? <laughs> I think that might be the first Button Moon reference ever on the Bugle, which, what are we now like, heading towards 16 years in Button Moon, the uh, British children's TV show? It's quite hard to explain Button Moon to... Young people. Basically, it was a TV show involving a couple of wooden spoons and some buttons. <laughs> that passed for entertainment in our youth, didn't it? <laughs> it did. Uh, and the moon youngsters. was a button. The moon was a button. I have, I have no idea what this is. I'm assuming this has something to do with two animated spoons and an animated button. Oh, not animated. Not animated. Actual oh, spoons. Not. Of course not. Of course yeah. not. Two regulars. That's too much technology. I like yeah. how I like how Tiff is shocked at the idea of basic animation, even in 1980. I, I think you can trace our national decline to when Button Moon ceased being on our television screens and educating our youngsters. Um, Chris, you must have watched Button Moon. Yeah, I'm trying to. Was, was it literally just spoons with googly eyes? Yes. I think it and, was, yeah. and and some kind of narrator. Yep. And that and that was it. Five minutes a day, yeah. every day. Yeah, off to he- Button Moon. Yeah. We'll follow Mr. Spoon. Button yeah. Moon was the but song. It, it held this country together during the uh, <laughs> difficult decades of the late twentieth century. I'm so Listen, awesome. I, I'll have you know, it sounds better than the last three Netflix shows I've seen. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they should I'd be using this for the writer's strike. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see two spoons talking to each other. You know, I, I just have I just have one very quick question for you guys. You know, there's a fundamental assumption about intelligent life outside um, that they, there's inherent curiosity in that intelligent life to reach out to Earth. And therefore, we send these radio signals, we send stuff continuously to try to make contact. What if they don't give a shit? What if they're very happy, quite xenophobic, and are not interested? They're listening to all these radio signals, but they don't want to get in touch. Like a like an ex ex wife, or you know, like it's just. That's, it is possible, isn't it? Um, also, it's possible that the radio signals they've received are football phoning shows off the radio, and they <laughs> figure that we are just too confrontational a species to be worth bothering with. So again, you know, sport is saving humanity. Well, that's the um, that's the basis of Carl's. Is it Sagan's contact? 
that they're sending back stuff that we sent out to them, which is videos of Hitler. I think that's the first transmission that yes. comes back through. Just other objects that have turned out not to be UFOs include uh, a sighting of what turned out to be Elon Musk's new hyperbrain, which is an expanding <laughs> disc-shaped hard drive that originally fitted in his head. But unfortunately, the tungsten silver alloy reacted on contact with his brain and his ego. Also, it expanded rapidly and burst out of his head and is now circling the world in a low orbit full of uh, crazy <laughs> ideas. And uh, the egg of an Airbus 380. They mostly don't lay one in flight, but every now and again, one does slip up. Um, what is the egg made up of? Is it just that frozen block of piss that is ejected? <laughs> All eggs are. Um... So as I, as I mentioned, I mean, this is we, we are recording on the fifth of June, twenty uh, twenty-three, the day before the night, which, if my two-dimensional predictions are right, we'll see the moon crash into up to one hundred and thirty different stars, and that could potentially clear uh, a path without stars for uh, extra UFO spotting. So do um, direct your binoculars to the sky uh, tonight. By the time you uh, record this, obviously that will be out of date. Uh, concerns have been. Ex- <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> Um, <laughs> just on, on the subject of um, the night sky, uh, concerns have been expressed by the International Organisation for the Inescapability of Consumer Capitalism that the night sky presents a worryingly vast area of unbranded visible real estate that could prompt people <laughs> who find themselves staring into it for long enough to doubt the necessity of purchasing more stuff. So the delicate world economy really is uh, in, endangered by not aliens so much as just the night sky itself. Um so, I mean, Tiff, you were a bit evasive when I suggested you've been abducted by aliens. You didn't either confirm or deny. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't think I have been, although I did once do a gig in Yatton in Somerset, so I do have some idea of what it might be like to be surrounded by life forms with whom I'm unable to communicate in an atmosphere of mutual distrust and confusion. So, um, and Are you, you asking ever... if I've been probed, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> of course not. Family show. Uh, <laughs> and if have you ever uh, have been taken by a... Uh, taken by alien uh, life and you know there's a there's a town in india called jodhpur uh, which is right on the border with pakistan and i was doing a show i was doing a corporate show there and no one had told me that the hotel i was doing a show in was in the flight path of fighter jet practices at night and they would often cross the the sonic boom speed <laughs> of sound thing while they were practicing so when i began i began my show you know, there were three sonic booms that looked like giant explosions. And the entire, as first time it's happened to me, the entire audience, whom I couldn't see in the dark, just ran, just disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I, and then there was this assumption that, that every, this rumor spread that there was an alien invasion from Pakistan, <laughs> that they had unleashed a bunch of aliens into India. Um, and that's what the sound was. And... It was only 40 minutes later it says, no, it's just a bunch of MIGs practicing. Uh, but I lost that audience due to, due to aliens and my payment subsequently. <laughs> you should have told, see here, if we hear that sound, we would have just gone, oh, they've brought Concord back. <laughs> correct. You know, on the topic of night sky advertising, um, how long before we see proper adverts on an overnight flight like uh you know middle of the night empty sky or going over the atlantic why can i not see walmart kellogg's nike because orion has been taking up all of the all of the (laughs) advertising space for a long time (laughs) 
Moving on from aliens to almighty beings, um, <laughs> well, it's been a tough week for uh, the renowned deity God after his um, biography, The Bible, uh, was banned in certain schools in Utah due to the vulgarity and violence contained within. <laughs> uh, school in Utah may also now ban the Book of Mormon uh, on similar uh, grounds. I mean, this is... I guess this was just a matter of time, because the Bible does contain an awful lot of passages involving people begetting and begetting each other, and the unavoidable <laughs> inference is that... And please, Buglers, cover your children's ears, uh, particularly if you're in Utah. The unavoidable inference is that some Bible figures did imperfectate their bamboglers into other bible figures virginia blutes and we cannot allow our children <laughs> to be exposed to such utter filth utter utter f i'm mean, not usually in favor of banning books but but for once i think this is absolutely bang on the banana uh, adam was famously created with no underpants so the early phases of the bible <laughs> feature a grown man wandering around with his junk plobbling and wobbling all over the place which is the kind of thing that the church really needs to be editing out these days whilst Adam's Genesis co-star and celebrity squeeze Eve began her career provocatively topless. And, I mean, something had to be, this is long overdue, the Song of Solomon was pretty much the Debbie Does Dallas of the biblical era, whilst in terms of violence, clattering a popular magician and raconteur to a couple of planks of wood with a mallet and some mega nails is not exactly the kind of bedtime story that's going to get your children off to a sound night's sleep. So for me... While people may think it's ridiculous to ban the Bible for children, I am absolutely on side with it. Uh, what do you uh, What do you guys think? One of the good things I think that's happened because of this book banning and the rise of Ron DeSantis and everything's going on in Florida about the statue of David and, and finding that offensive for children is finally a really criminal group of people are going to be under scrutiny and they are librarians. <laughs> 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 They've been the root cause of all evil in the world for a very long time and it's about time that they entered, you know, the crux of this culture debate and uh, hopefully many of them will be taken out and shot <laughs> for, <laughs> for keeping, keeping the wrong kinds of books. Do they think the Holy Trinity is about a threesome? <laughs> not, not just a threesome, but a threesome with a ghost. There's a lot. There is. You're right, Andy. The burning bush, that takes on a whole new meaning. <laughs> Same for Sermon on the Mound. Yep. Now I come to think of it, I agree with you, Andy. Ban this filth. Does yep. this mean hotel rooms are putting free jazz mags in every top drawer? It does seem that way. It does, <laughs> it does seem but that what, way. What's interesting is, is that they're, they're sort of on this book banning... I was going to say Jag, is it? A, but, you know, at the moment. And uh, the, the guy who put this rule in place, um, Ken Ivory, said, traditionally in America, the Bible is best taught and best understood in the home and around the hearth as a family. What is a hearth? What year is this? <laughs> People don't even have fireplaces anymore. Also, if we're going to look at, at books that children shouldn't read, I think we should think about banning some of the kids' books, actual kids' books to worry about. Because recently I had to explain the children's book Flat Stanley to my Scottish husband, who had never read the books and just was like, what is this? This sounds like a horror film. Flat Stanley, boy gets flattened by billboard. His parents stick him in the post uh, and just post him around the world. His brother flies him as a f***ing kite <laughs> before eventually he is pumped up with a bike pump. Ban this filth, Andy. <laughs> Little old Mrs. Pepperpot, the old woman who shrinks to the size of a pepperpot, claims she can talk to the animals. Who is this mad woman? She needs institutionalising. Ban this filth. Or The Very Hungry Caterpillar, a book about a caterpillar whose eating disorder turns him into a beautiful butterfly. Ban this filth! <laughs> <laughs> it's awful well, stuff. Awful. So, um, 
uh, I, I haven't read Gruffalo. Is Gruffalo a bad person? Creature? Thing? Um, it's very popular in India, Gruffalo. Well, look, I mean, if you read any children's book through the right prism, uh, it is, <laughs> as Tiff said, absolute filth. Um, <laughs> the, the Gruffalo, I'm sure, is, is you know, absolutely no, no different. God, I can't even remember. I mean, I must have read that book a hundred times for my kids. He, he didn't do much wrong. The, gr- the Gruffalo's biggest crime was, was threatening to eat a, a mouse, really, at one stage. Right. And in the sequel, you, you could argue, actually, it was a fairly responsible single parent. Right. Just, just he happened to have quite gruesome features. <laughs> yes, I mean the, the the law that was passed in Utah last year allows parents to request the removal of books containing pornographic or indecent material. The purpose of this law, uh, well, I mean it's quite hard to know what the exact purpose was without going down a very dark, dark passage into the the recesses of American Christian conservatism. But of course, the problem is that one person's pornographic is another person's Sistine Chapel ceiling, and one person's <laughs> indecent is another person's absolutely basic human biology. Uh, so it's interesting this law has now been sort of fired back uh, and uh, resulted in the banning of, uh, of the Bible. And again, I mean, the Davis School District in Utah decided that although the Bible doesn't contravene the law of Utah... It was not suitable for younger students. And you know, I had another read of it because it's been a couple of weeks since I read the Bible cover to cover. <laughs> and it does set a bad example right out the traps. Start of Genesis. I mean, nothing to do with violence or pornography. It just sets a bad example. It shows children that if you rush a job just so you can have a day off, the chances are you'll f*** it up. And that is why the planet <laughs> is such a mess today. You make loads of mistakes as you're rushing it through. You know, if only God had taken... I don't know, let's say 10 years to make a planet. It might have been less of a mess than it is today. Also, uh, it shows, you know, throughout the book, we see God's unwillingness to work through problems by talking to people, helping them learn about themselves and improve and reach a harmonious shared plan for a better future. That is not what I want kids to learn about. You know, how he deals with problems by flooding the entire world, reducing cities to rubble, mass infanticide and locusts. That is not how you deal with problems, kids. <laughs> this is why this book must be banned. Quite aside from his questionable behaviour, uh, fathering a child with a young woman who is in a relationship with someone else. That's, I mean, neither here nor there. But I'm, I am glad that the children of Utah will grow up in purity and innocence. <laughs> I think it's actually quite an uplifting book about uh, a child star who goes off into the wilderness and stages a comeback. Right. Yeah. I guess in his later one. years. Yeah. You know, that's that's hopeful for a lot of uh, a lot of people in the entertainment business. Yeah. You, you say he was in the entertainment business. To me, that Tiff, that sounds like you're perpetuating the trope that Jews run showbiz just because of what <laughs> uh, Jesus made it to the top. <laughs> Now, the whole thing about the Statue of David in Florida, um, yeah. I guess that school district wanted to ban it because David was nude. Yes. Um, now, now uh, that would create a slight problem with most Greco-Roman architecture. I mean, I have wondered. I mean, it is, it is true that when you walk around and see a lot of Socrates and Plato in these museums, you realize that they held a lot of sermons without any clothes on. Yeah. Um, and they were saying really, really intelligent things semi-nude yes and and great you know but i i'm, I'm glad florida's asking the questions you know <laughs> who was attending these things and should these things be spread at business schools around the world now yeah you know well, like if you're teaching organizational theory at the university of pennsylvania do you need all your clothes <laughs> <laughs> well actually when I mean, you see the heights of 
of you know philosophy and science and creativity that uh, you know, the ancient Athenian civilization reached when, as you say, they, yeah, the maximum you could expect was a half-assed cloth. Um, <laughs> then maybe that's you know a lesson for humanity that cl- clothes have made us stupider as a species. That's the only conclusion you can draw. Well, at least it's consistent. If you're going to ban one book, ban them all. Yep. Even Absolutely. if it fits with your agenda, I sort of admire it in a small way. Like, you know, and in Utah, which is home of the Mormons, isn't it? Yes. You well, know, the, there's more Mormon than mountain in, yeah. in Utah. So um, I like, I, I give them ultimate points for consistency. Yes. I mean, the, the Book of Mormon itself uh, could be banned, famously adapted from the hit stage musical and containing practical <laughs> tips on the absolute <laughs> deluge of admin that comes along with a commitment to polygamy. How the f*** do people manage it? <laughs> When I read the headline, Andy, sorry, I, the first time you sent me this new story, I was thinking the two things Utah wanted to ban were the Bible and the musical Book of Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> Some people have said that you know this this shows that really we need to find a way of of living more harmoniously and and having a slightly more nuanced position on you know what constitutes offensiveness. And well, I would say that we live in an age where you know. Nuance has had its day. We, we simply cannot anymore reach, reach nuance positions of mutual acceptance on anything. And I would go, in fact, so far as to say that nuance should be banned outright. It never helps and is always confusing. Uh, it's very hard to this. Ban this filth. Ban this filth. Political figures news now, and let's start in India, uh, Anuvab. A sensational story uh, from from the last week or so. A, a government official was suspended after he ordered an entire reservoir to be drained after <laughs> dropping his phone in it. Um, <laughs> this might be the greatest pe- abuse of political power in human history because it is simultaneously ridiculously absurd... Um, essentially, he even argued that it was helpful because the water drained from the reservoir helps local farmers. Um, and sort of a metaphor for human waste and the state of the planet today. I mean, I, I don't see there's any news story that could ever beat this one. This is absolutely correct. And that's the angle everybody took. You know, the wastage of water, you know, in a country that's starved, you know, 1. 1.3 billion people, we don't have enough water. And here is Rajesh Vishwas, junior bureaucrat in the Parakhlo district um, of Uttar Pradesh, draining a reservoir to find a phone, right? So went viral, this news story. So look, Andy, uh, this news story that went around the world uh, basically went viral, accusing Rajesh Viswas, this junior bureaucrat in the Parakhlo district of Uttar Pradesh, of draining a whole reservoir to find his phone, right? And they said, you know, 1.3 billion people we're short of water. What is this man doing draining a reservoir? The fundamental question nobody asked, and I think this is why it's a cruel world, is did he find his phone or not find his phone? <laughs> <laughs> Was this exercise worthwhile? And I'm and the first podcast in the world to report, Andy, because nobody's followed up on the story, <laughs> that Rajesh Vishwas did find his telephone. Right. And he lost his job. He's been suspended. It's very sad. He found his phone. And three days of repairs of the phone have not yielded any results, so he still can't <laughs> use the phone. <laughs> well, I mean, who would have thought that after dropping it in a reservoir and taking <laughs> days to find it, that 
that it might have some water damage. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the way he dropped it in the reservoir, apparently he was he was taking a selfie, as you, of course you do whenever you're standing next to a reservoir. Otherwise, how do you prove that either you or the reservoir really existed? And he dropped his phone into the water, at which point he had two options. Option one, think, oh, whoops, that was careless. Oh, well, it's only a phone. I can get another one and learn a valuable lesson about not taking selfies near reservoirs without attaching the phone to a flotation device, just in case. Or option two, empty half a million gallons of precious life-giving farming-assisting water out of the reservoir over three days of pumping in an effort to find the phone and hope that being underwater for three days hadn't in some way damaged it. Tiff, how do you think he, he plumped for option two? There? That seems... <laughs> Here's the thought process. Apparently, he's a food inspector, so he dropped the phone and he was just using the three-second rule, but taking it to its <laughs> ultimate extreme. I think normally when your phone gets wet, you need to put it in a bowl of rice. Unfortunately, he drained all the water that the local farmers were going to use to grow the rice. So that's had the, the adverse effect. I like how much inconsistency there is in this story because <clears throat> he claimed the, gov the phone had sensitive government information on it because i'm like if you drop the phone just leave it if you're uh -huh. worried about sensitive information being found on your phone surely one of the safest places for it is at the bottom of a fucking reservoir <laughs> <laughs> moving slightly up the uh political uh, power food chain from an Indian food inspector to the President of the United States of America, uh, Joe Biden, uh, who the White House has said is fine after he tripped over a sandbag and fell over on stage at um, an Air Force Academy event. Um, I mean, Biden could do without these things. I mean, the, the way that Trump will attack him for being even older than Trump is, he could do without these things. And it does look increasingly if like america will essentially be voting for one of two living aging metaphors in next year's election <laughs> biden was a metaphor for the aging process of both humans and their civilization and no matter what else we do we will eventually fall uh, whereas trump of course is an absolute aesop's fable made flesh the tale of the city of quits who indulged in absolute <laughs> you can call them sheep and wolves if you want or ducks and sharks or pigeons and jet engines but it's clear what Aesop meant. <laughs> but it's, it's going to be a tough call for America, assuming that they both win their party's representation, between two flawed individuals. I mean, how do you choose between someone who occasionally struggles with trip hazards and someone who sexually assaults people, mocks the disabled, encourages insurrection, undermines democracy, justice, press freedom, and pretty much every other undeminable aspect of public life, who fosters racism, who absolutely everything and spreads corrosive deceits that eat away at the fabric and structure of society and who spends too much time playing golf i mean chris could just edit that list down to under 10 minutes if he could thanks so um, so it's going to be a tough call <laughs> tough call for america science news now and well britain has been rocked by well further evidence of uh, the impending end of our species after a petting zoo in dorset accidentally created a new breed of killer sheep um <laughs> it may not be a, a actual killer sheep but let's assume that it is because this is what happens when breeds get crossbred in in films uh what happened was a valet ram and a shetland ewe enjoyed some sweet woolly love across the barricades uh that <laughs> resulted in an exciting new strain of sheep creature that will surely one day 
destroy us all, all be someone's lunch. It's a bit early to say at this stage. Uh, but the Romeo and Juliet encounter took place when the Shetland <laughs> broke into the valet's enclosure. And, uh, well, family show. Enjoyed some quality sheep time together. Uh, the love poetry flowed between them. It was assumed to be love poetry. It's a bit hard to tell with sheep. Everything they say rhymes. Um, anyway, the result... <laughs> bah, bah, bah. Uh, the result of the uh, eugenics was a lamb. Uh, named oh. Bor- <laughs> named Borghini because its legs hinge upwards vertically. Uh, it's reportedly uh, a very advanced species of, uh, of hybrid uh, uh, sheep. It's reportedly terrified of mint, which is a good if overdue evolutionary development for lambs, and a strong advocate of veganism. So uh, progress uh, being made. Uh, well, I mean, this is uh, I mean, it's, it's a charming love story in a lot of ways, isn't it? It's beautiful, isn't it? I like that Hank gets to have his name in print, the Ram, but the uh, the U is unnamed uh, in case we slut shame her, you know. <laughs> but she jumped the fence apparently because the heart wants what the heart wants. Yep. So um, he do- Hank sounds like an absolute unit because they didn't even know she was missing because apparently he was so big you couldn't see her in the in the pen. But uh, I'll definitely think of this story tonight as I try and get to sleep, Andy. <laughs> Look, I've never been to a British petting zoo, but they're turning right. into dens of sin. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I bet they've got copies of the Bible <laughs> yeah, <knocking exactly>. around. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Bugle. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, anything to plug? Tiff? I will plug Catharsis. Uh, my podcast also on the bugle network um and uh there's a great episode out at the moment with ian moore comedian uh turned author turned person at cricket with you yes at the weekend andy yeah yeah um, he, came, he was a uh, guest on test match special on his third his third attempt well the first time he was supposed to be on the entire match was cancelled the second time he was supposed to be on the game had ended by the time that uh <laughs> that he could be on so he finally managed to get on, on uh, third on time third time lucky uh, so have a listen to that also i will be doing a run at the edinburgh fringe uh one week of work in progress at the monkey barrel and it's at midday so one week come come and check that out and if i well uh similar to tiff um nothing to do with ian moore although i find him lovely and he was in mumbai for three weeks many years ago um uh, i will be doing a uh, short run at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. But here's the thing, this is what I want to announce about the run. It's from the 14th to the 28th, uh, but it's it's not me as a comedian. Uh, what's basically happened is that, uh, Andy, uh, Tiff, I'll be giving up comedy. The show is titled The Department of Britishness. And uh, <laughs> I, I'd, like to announce, I'd like to announce very quickly here that I've been hired by the Deputy High Commission uh, to promote Britishness in India. So that's <laughs> going to be my new job. <laughs> the, the, you guys run down your country far too much. And I think that there is this great Britishness that has, has been lost in time, especially in India. So I'll be going around promoting that. So I'll be, I'll be just mentioning the talking points of my new job <laughs> after comedy in Edinburgh. Who's uh, going to manage the queues for the show itself? That is surely fits <laughs> under the purview of the Department of Britishness. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be um, quite austere, I think. <laughs> <laughs> 
you can uh, hear the current episode of the news quiz via the bbc sounds app or other parts of the internet uh, after that uh, it finishes this week and if you like cricket i'll be banging on about cricket in numerical terms for most of the next two months we will now leave you with our bugle wall of fame our voluntary subscribers uh, who have helped contribute to the show to keep it free flourishing and independent to join the bugle voluntary subscription scheme go to the buglepodcast.com and click the donate button and here are the great contributions to human culture of some of our voluntary subscribers. All of our Wall of Famers this week have been pioneers in the field of geography. Samuel Price discovered that the reason glaciers flow so much slower than rivers is not because they're made of ice rather than water, but because they are more chilled out, both literally and metaphorically. They simply want to take their time to appreciate the wonders of nature. Dan Milburn was the first person to prove incontrovertibly that pyramids and volcanoes are not related. Much geological scholarship prior to Dan had held that pyramids were in fact very neat, very well-structured, dormant volcanoes. On the subject of volcanoes, Wendell Shepard formulated a now almost universally accepted theory that most volcanoes are upside down, hence the Earth has a molten core filled up with volcano-blasted liquid rock. Melanie Cohen was the oceanologist responsible for working out that Antarctica is bigger than the Arctic because penguins are more careful investors and hung onto their land, whereas the devil-may-care polar bears from up north sold theirs off and now have to bob about on bits of ice cap. Greg Dawson worked out that the quantity, size and gloominess of rain clouds in the sky in different parts of the world is not in fact directly proportional to the number of poets living beneath. Phil Haynes has calculated that there was supposed to be a large continent in the Pacific Ocean. There's no reason for it to be so big, explains Phil, so it's quite clear that whoever designed the world meant to stick a continent there but forgot, or couldn't be asked, at the end of a long week. Philip Jones worked out that, in fact, contrary to popular belief, a relatively small percentage of roads do actually lead to Rome, although that percentage has, in fairness, come down significantly over the past 1500 to 2000 years. Ed Hockey calculated that the Grand Canyon is actually 35 times deeper than is popularly believed. It only looks about a mile deep, but actually the empty bit stretches another 30 miles upwards, explains Ed. We just tend to focus on the bit with sides, regrettably. And finally, Scott Manson discovered that underneath the sands of the Sahara, there is an old ancient Roman hypercaust heating system covering almost 3 million square miles. That's why it's so hot, Scott notes. The weather is incidental. Thank you to all our Bugle voluntary subscribers, and don't forget to join them now! Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you you, you must be so excited. Listen now.